Hey gang, it's John. So we're going to start something new here. We're going to call it Panels. What we're going to do is we're going to invite on some of our best podcasting buddies and discuss a topic, whatever it might be. This one is going to be on Rock Docs. I'm working on another one for Rock Books. Maybe we'll do another one like Concerts or Best Hits of the 80s or I don't know, whatever. Um, something, first and foremost, to spread the word on with our other podcasters. Give them... Uh, a moment to shine. Now, I'm not the most popular podcast in the world, so maybe you're learning about some new podcasts through this thing through us. Maybe they're sharing these with their listeners and they're learning about us through them. Whatever it might be, we just want to grow this community as best we can and give all of our buddies a, a moment to shine and discuss music the way we love to discuss it. And then secondly, in this time of quarantine especially, we want to give you guys some fun stuff to watch some fun recommendations and Brad Page has made an exhaustive list of every docu uh, every documentary that comes up in this conversation and where you can find it and I will post that to the Facebook page so you don't even have to keep notes although I hope you do because there's a lot of great references and a lot of great recommendations in here so anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this. I don't know how often they're going to come out. I know that we aren't going to overproduce these things. There's no reason to, you know, in most topics anyway, to insert bits of music and play it underneath and clean it all up beautifully. We just kind of want to make these simple and easy and digestible for everybody. Not a lot of produ production on it so that no one has to work too hard. We just want them to be fun conversations that you guys can join in on, okay? Anyway, hope you enjoy this format. We'll try it some more. We'll see how it goes. So we at the uh, hustle here are trying something a little bit different. I had been, um, well, this is all your fault, actually, Brad Page. Yay! So let me let me, let me do an inter quick introduction. Uh, Brad Page from the "I'm in Love with That Song" podcast is hey, here. Hey, everybody! Hi, Brad. Yep, the uh, the voice of a generation. We've got Eric Miller from Pods and Sods. Hey. Uh, you know, I want to say um, you've been on my show like 872 times. It's, it's, I'm happy that you finally found my number to uh, paraphrase John Paul Jones from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Making my debut on The Hustle. Nice to be here. Good. We welcome you. We welcome <laughs> you, Eric. And uh, then we also have Ben Montgomery from Records Revisited. Hi, Ben. Hey there. So, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was Brad Page kind of forcing my hand on this. Brad, do you want to explain to us the sort of the impetus for this idea? Uh, and this idea came up, oh, I don't know, eight months ago or something when we first started chatting about it, but just the idea to talk about some of our favorite rock documentaries. And I think especially now that we are all, all around the world, we're all isolating and sheltering in place and staying at home and quarantining and whatever the terminology happens to be. But there's, everyone's got time on their hands looking for stuff to, to watch. And this is a great opportunity for all the music fans out there to, um, to get caught up on some of these great uh, insights that are out there to some of our favorite bands, as well as artists and you may not know anything about. So hopefully we can uncover some interesting topics for everyone to, uh, to spend their lonely, isolated afternoons doing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, that's really nice. But the real reason we're doing this is because Eric won't do a six pack on a theme. He'll only do an artist. 
<laughs> so, Damn that, Eric Miller. <laughs> so because Eric, you know, won't, has a lot of inflexibility around the, the you know, structure of his own podcast, I had to swoop in and kind of say, well, I'll do it then. I'll, ha- I'll host the conversation on Rock Docs. So uh, uh, Eric can keep his, you know, his little pot over there very pristine. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. You're so, so rigid. You know, Eric is infamous for his rigidity. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think that that's why he invited me on as well, because we're not doing a podcast called Documentaries Revisited. There we go. <laughs> right. That's true. Yes. Well, who do I want to have this conversation with? And uh, let's get... People from all over the spectrum. Um, Eric and Brad obviously know each other. Well, we all know each other, mostly because of Eric and uh, Six Packs and everything like that. But I thought, well, let's hand. I wanted to handpick a few thoughtful people with very interesting podcasts, bring them all together. And that way, all of our listeners are getting to know one another if they don't already. And people who listen to Records Revisited but don't know about us are learning and vice versa. So, that was my thinking is let's just get a, you know, hodgepodge of people on here and talk about something fun. Love it. Love it. So, um, let's see, what can you say about rock ducks? First of all, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a complete sucker for just about any rock documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even care what the topic is. I'm probably sucked in no matter what I did make a list of some of the ones that I've seen that I really didn't like, but I'm curious if there are stylistic, things that make a rock doc more inviting or less inviting to you. Um, Brad, why don't we start with you again, since uh, this was kind of your baby? Well, I, I think that a rock doc, um, and for me, there's kind of different, uh, there's different things, right? There's the concert film, which is one mm-hmm. thing. And I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Although that's certainly a subject for a great podcast. Um, mm. And then there's the biopic, you know, mm-hmm. the the Johnny Cash, Ray Charles, you know, the Bohemian mm. Rhapsody, right? There's, there's those um, reenactments. But the rock doc is kind of a different thing. Um, and uh, to me, what makes a great, the, a rock doc really should do one thing. It should win when it's over and you walk out of the theater or you turn off the TV, you should feel at least at that moment that that was the greatest band in history, or Mm. that is the greatest vocalist I've ever heard, or that guy is a complete genius. And if it doesn't make you feel that way, I don't think it's successful in its, in its mission. It should make you understand why this person or this band or this artist is worthy of the hour and a half or whatever of, of your attention. Um, and it should really, it should really explain why they're important, why they mattered. And, um, and, and if it doesn't really excite you, it should be more than just, well, that was interesting. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I really feel like when it's successful, you are just like, I'm going to go out and buy every record that this band has ever made. That, yeah. That's to me, the measure of a great documentary. I bought six Linda Ronstadt records over the last three months because I watched that documentary. There you go. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's really interesting. I saw that documentary in the theater and um, I've always been on the fence about Linda Ronstadt and it didn't uh, convince me to go uh, over completely over the fence. 
Well, that's because you're heartless. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, she's a great, I, I'm trying to think about this. I, I think she's a fan, one of the great, uh, you know, white female so- vocalists ever. I have a slight hesitation with people who don't write the majority of their own music. Sure. But then again, I think Aretha Franklin is the greatest female vocalist ever. And she didn't write all of her music, you know? And, um, Susie Quattro is one of the great rock women in rock she didn't write she writes a lot of her own music but not her big hits and so like why am i holding linda ronstadt's feet to this fire and not other people you know that's not fair of me and um and i feel like what you know what i was thinking too just to sidetrack here for a minute my first introduction with linda ronstadt was that nelson riddle album she made like in the early 80s with yeah, the dress. yeah that was, I remember my aunt and my mom and my grandma and every woman in my extended family getting that record for Christmas that year. And so to me, it's, she's not like rock at all, you know, because that was my introduction. Anyway, uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on good rock docs? Uh, well, you know what would be a good introduction to Linda Ronstadt would be a six pack of Linda Ronstadt volume one and two on Positive <laughs> Network, just saying. Which yeah. didn't invite me to be on either one, which I'm still mad about, but okay. Uh, but yeah, my I love what Brad said. You know, the about the intent. If you if you click it off, it should resonate with you in some way. And I agree with what Brad said. I just want to add a little bit to it. One of the things that I most appreciate about a a good documentary, there's a couple types, right? So there's capturing something happening, unfolding in real time as a document for history. Think of like Metallica's therapy documentary, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. that's recording or even a Let It Be sessions. They're filming that, you know, for for prosperity's sake, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. And I, I greatly appreciate that if it's something of value, Right. It is mm-hmm. always it isn't always right. Or sometimes it's it's forced. Like I think of, uh, you know, maybe Truth or Dare or that Lady Gaga mm-hmm. where they follow them on tour. And you think they're, you know, they're yeah. kind of over dramatizing a little bit because the camera's there. It blurs into this weird reality TV show thing. But mm-hmm. so that's that's one side of them. And I like those. But the, the ones that kind of grab my heart a little bit more, I'm thinking, are the ones that resurface something in musical history that didn't get its due or tells mm-hmm. a story that might have been, been tragically overlooked otherwise. And the, the two biggies that come to example, it's come to mind are, you know, the wrecking crew mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one of my favorites and it, it meanders a little bit. It doesn't have like a necessarily a story arc to it, but just the value of a son honoring his father and his peers who were who were uh, nameless musicians, faceless musicians. Now they're they're resurfaced, right? Mm-hmm. And twenty feet from stardom, kind of the same deal. Yeah. You know, I like I like, or that, that uh, a band called Death. If you guys have yeah. seen that one, yeah. yeah. You know where it's a story, or even the Anvil one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, story mm-hmm. of Anvil, where you know I don't I'm not an Anvil fan, but I watch that documentary and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I'm I'm behind these guys. Like I mm-hmm. get it. You know, and, and it's, you know, I'm not walking away saying they're the greatest musicians ever, but I'm, you know, I want these guys to be successful. I want band, I want the band Death to get its just due. I want the, you know, the Lisa Fishers from 20 Feet from Stardom to get their just due, right? So mm-hmm. um, I like, I like those ones a lot. Um, 
And then, and then there's a couple other aspects to it. So, you know, Brad mentioned about, you know, the, the value of the work or the artist, but then there's also sometimes a cultural significance to what that artist is or does, or has the impact they've made. Uh, I can't think of a great example. Um, I think you're going to ask us about ones we wish we would see get made. Mm -hmm. And I have an answer. I have an answer for that, but you know, uh, if an artist goes beyond just their work, then, um, you know, I appreciate that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I meant to establish the ground rules or for the listeners anyway, at the beginning, and I sort of skipped over it, but what we're going to do, dear listeners is we want to kind of structure this where we have a conversation at the beginning around docs of different types, different genres, ones we like, but at the end, we're each going to count down our top, our top two, and I should define top two. You can, and all of us, I imagine, may have come to this differently. You can either count down, this is my favorite rock doc of all time, and this is my second favorite. Or what I did is I thought of two that I wanted to mention that to get some, uh, draw some more attention to. They aren't necessarily my top two, but they're two that I'm recommending in case you don't know them. And um, so that's kind of how I approach this. And then we're each going to have an alternate so basically like a third choice that we're going to kind of keep in our back pocket in case someone else picks one of our top two. So at the end, let's count down those two, and then we will all mention what our honorable mention is just in case as well. Okay. Can I just throw out one more framing about that? Yeah. You know, there, there are these days, there are a bazillion documentaries out there, right? And it, it could have, it could, we could have each very easily probably just went with our two favorite bands or whatever. Right. Right. So like Kansas has a great documentary, but I don't think it, you know, it's not, it's not great if you're not necessarily a Kansas fan or extreme or, you know, there's even a Dan Ray network documentary in the works. Is it, mm. you know, is it going to be the greatest documentary of music um, history of all time? Pro- you know, probably not. It's going to be good if you're a Dan Ray network fan. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, uh, I didn't look at it through the eyes of a fan exclusively. I looked at it through, kind of the, the measures of what Brad said and then what I added to. So mm-hmm. I didn't just go with like, you know, the Frente documentary, the Taketo doc. I, you know, I went with like big ones that sort of have there's a, more big Wait, more there's more. a Frente documentary? <laughs> there is not, but that was the first one that came Oh, out. okay. <laughs> it should be. God damn it. There's a yes. it's criminal that there is not. I'd right. watch it. Well, I, that's the thing. I think we all would. I mean, I, I would watch just about anything. I don't, yeah. you mentioned on, you mentioned this earlier, Brad, um, full, uh, transparency, even prior to the quarantining, I was unemployed. So, uh, thank goodness I'm going back to work very quickly here, but it's <laughs> been a long five months. And, uh, in that five months, I've watched a lot more TV than I would otherwise. In fact, I was going through and, uh, according to IMDB, I, it looks as if I've watched approximately 25 rock documentaries in the last five months. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some of them were really great. I want to kind of name drop some of those. But you, when you were listing off those uh, documentaries er- the, earlier, going from like 20 feet from stardom to Anvil, I wonder, Eric, I wondered if, if uh, we view these documentaries differently and you sort of classified some of them. I will say... Like, for instance, I love the Anvil documentary, and I love it because it doesn't it's uh, it's brutally honest, which is what I think a really good documentary has to be. I think it has to address elephants in the room. I think it has to address the dark side or the 
downside or whatever it is. And so often, a lot of rock documentaries feel like uh, kind of glorified commercials and pieces. Yeah. And those, and and I love that wrecking crew one. That one felt a little bit more like a commercial. I mean, I love, I loved it. I love the music. I'm a sucker for all of it, but um, I really resonated more with the Anvil one because it was kind of getting deeper into the woods and um, or into the weeds. And I like documentaries that go that way. Uh, Ben, let's go to you. Can you think of documentaries that you've enjoyed that just didn't pull any punches? And they kind of, you know, went for it, went for the jugular. Well, I think those are the ones that they stumble on while they're filming it. Because going back to what you were saying, I mean, a lot of documentaries that I've watched, because, because the documentary crew is allowed to be, you know, behind the scenes and get to interview all the members of the band and their entourage the band and the entourage are basically controlling the narrative. Mm. You know, like, like I watched the Coldplay uh, documentary and it didn't cover any new ground for me because mm. it was a, it was a commercial for Coldplay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, a, and there's a lot of those that are out there, which are, which are fine as a, uh, as a fan of like Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam, those documentaries are great, but did I learn anything new about my favorite bands? No. Um, so, so when I'm thinking of, of those really good documentaries, I mean, Eric, Eric listed a couple, but, um, one of my favorites is mistaken for strangers, which is, um, it's the brother of the, the lead singer of the national That's right. who, who, who essentially wants to do a documentary about the band and he's just a major screw up mm-hmm. and he, you know, he gets to be a roadie for the band and he just, just messes things up. And so it's, it becomes not necessarily a documentary, but there is there's a story that goes along with the documentary that becomes um, really engrossing for me. Um, so, so I like those. Um, I like also documentaries that um, I discover new things. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, a couple of years ago, I, I stumbled on the Jaco Pistorius documentary. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't really didn't know Jocko because I'm not, I'm, I don't consider myself really much of a jazz guy and he was a jazz guy. And, and, um, after watching that documentary, kind of going back to, to what you guys were saying earlier, um, I started listening to like weather report and checking out stuff that, um, Jocko influenced other, other bass players. And, um, I think that that's those are those documentaries that I love to stumble on because I learned something. It's not just the the glorified commercial. Again, I love Pearl Jam 20. It's one of my favorite documentaries, but um, that's probably because I really love Pearl Jam. And so I love any opportunity to kind of just dive in deep with with the bands that I love. How about you, Brad? Are there documentaries you can think of that either a um, are great examples of warts and all docs or B and or B really turned you on to something that you weren't as familiar with beforehand. 
Well, I'm glad Ben brought up the Jaco Pastorius one because that was not um, that wasn't one that I put on my list. I'd forgotten about that one, but that is a great uh, warts and all documentary. You really get to see the guy's genius and um, his complete falling apart, uh, and it's tragic, and brilliant, and it's a perfect example of that. The one I guess on my list that jumps out the most at, at being that kind of documentary is uh, Beware of Mr. Baker, the documentary about mm. Ginger, Bra- Ginger Baker. Oh, no, it's so um, good. It's Train so wreck. good. I mean, yeah, it opens with G- <laughs> with Ginger breaking the director's nose. Um, and it's really captures like uh, his brilliance and yet what a complete ass he was. Mm-hmm. Um, again, warts and all, but it is a totally entertaining watch. I think everybody knows his work with cream, but it really gets into Ginger Baker's air force and the stuff he did in Africa. And just, you know, if you're only, uh, if you only know Ginger through cream, that is well worth the watch. That's a great one. Beware of Mr. Baker. Uh, Eric, what about you? By way of warts and all and stuff. I mean, uh, the Anvil one is probably the best example of that, in my opinion. The Yaka one is good, and um, I didn't see the Ginger Baker one, but I've heard those stories, and now i got to go watch that. Um, a slight detour. One story someone once told me, a drummer, a f- kind of a famous drummer who knew Ginger Baker a little bit, um, who I shan't sh- name just for whatever reasons, but <laughs> he told me there's this uh, urban legend or whatever that goes around that someone that worked with Ginger Baker um, – who you know was uh, abused by him or whatever would call after he passed away or whatever would call his wife and say you know is ginger there and she'd say oh no i'm sorry he passed away and he, the caller would say yeah i know i just wanted to hear you say it again um, Ooh, that's, that's, wow. that's how much of an <laughs> impact he had uh and this person would do that uh, periodically apparently but, Ouch. Wow. that's that's brutal um yeah. yeah i don't know it's um Nothing else comes to mind. I can think of a few by way of the biopics. I don't know how far we want to go down that path, but uh, like the James Brown get on up with uh, Chadwick Boseman, right? That one, you know, James Brown had a tumultuous life and, you know, that wasn't just a glamorous portrayal of him. It kind of showed him as a bit of a dick, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He was the protagonist and antagonist at the same time. So, there, it can be done in a biopic, and, and I, the Nina Simone one was Zoe Saldana. That one kind of was the same. Uh, but as far as documentaries, I mean, we kind of named them. I can't think of any additional okay. outside of my head. One that I wanted to throw out as an example that I saw recently. It's one of the 25 that I've watched. It's, uh, it's called The Boys, and it's a documentary on the Sherman brothers, Richard and Robert Sherman. And uh, it was really – they're the guys who wrote so many of, like, the Disney – classics like you know super califragilistic and all those kinds of songs and um i uh you know i grew up on those disney movies i I love that stuff and to find out that these two didn't get along very well one of them is very upbeat and very positive and the other one's really dour and kind of depressive and their dynamic they don't shy away from talking about it and uh, one of them's no longer here i can't i think it's robert sherman that's no longer here i'm not i can't remember but anyway it um it was an example to me of a of a documentary that it could have considering these guys are like well one of them's gone but the other he was alive when they made the documentary and the other one's like in his 90s 
it could have so easily become a Disney version of a rock documentary or a music documentary. You know, we're just going to sugarcoat over everything. And it wasn't like that. It was a lot more interesting and deeper than I thought it was going to be given the subject matter. So anyway, if anyone can find that one, that I thought that one was really, really interesting. Um, Actually, you know what? Another one does come to mind. The Eagles, yeah. where they, yeah. they show the footage of them on stage fighting. When we get up the stage, yeah. I'm going to kick your ass and all that stuff. Right. right? That's uh, yeah. They could have very easily glossed over that. It was, And I'm not an Eagles fan, so you know it's interesting to see that even more because it confirms uh, well, I don't like them or whatever. But right. uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely a memorable moment in a documentary that could have very easily just been you know, uh, whitewashed. And they, they showed it, which I thought was nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one is, uh, I mean, I think of the last 10 or 15 years, that's an example of one of the best rock docs that are out there. How? I mean, as we, if you've watched it, though, you know the second half is basically a commercial. Right. But the first half is the winners. The winners get to write history, right? It's kind yeah. Of- <laughs> so, okay. Well, let's, uh, I want to throw out some topics specifically for us to kind of chew on. One would be, and I'll start with you, Brad. Who would you like to see a documentary of? Well, uh, for you guys who know me, this is probably no surprise, but it would be um, Todd Rundgren because I'm a huge, huge Todd fan. He did kind of produce his own sort of pseudo documentary in 1980 uh, called The Ever Popular Tortured Artist Effect. But, um, you know, this is a guy who has had a fascinating career on his own and with his own band, as well as a producer. And I think there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff there to mine. But, um, you know, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't have enough commercial appeal. But then again, you look on Amazon Prime and there's documentaries on bands. You can't believe somebody would would, the Sherman would do Brothers. It, so. There's, I heard about there's one about the Sherman Brothers. Right. Even though so, there, right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but I would I'm, love to see a great one on Todd. That would be yeah. uh, that would be my number one. Okay, Ben, go for it. I, I was going to say I'm embarrassed to say that uh, on a on a uh, relatively quiet night where I couldn't find anything to watch, I stumbled on a documentary on Hulu about Bros. Fascinating. Yes, it, it actually it actually was pretty good. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it, uh, yeah, I, I think they're, I think you pronounce it Bross, but there are these two brothers, British brothers who were kind of a big deal over there pop wise and, um, just how dysfunctional their relationship is now and how, uh, how, what a lack of self, um, I don't know. They still think they're a really big deal. Anyway, this, this thing is fascinating. It's a great one. Hmm. Okay. So what would you, who would you like to see a documentary made of, Ben? Uh, man, I have a long list. I would love to see a really exhaustive documentary for David Bowie, similar to what yeah. was uh, done for Linda Ronstadt or for Tom Petty. Um, I, there's a lot of different documentaries out there for Bowie, and none of them are any good. Mm. Um you know, and most of them are like, you know, hour long produced for BBC or whatever. And like I said, I, I just don't feel like any of them kind of going back to Brad's point, none of them made me want to go buy another Bowie record, mm-hmm. even, even though I'm a Bowie fan. Um, 
Eric and I did a episode for, for my podcast on Marvin Gaye. I would love to see a, an exhaustive documentary about Marvin because there's just so much to talk about. Um, I mean, lots of dysfunction in his family, you know, his, you know, his dad is the one who shot and killed him. Um, just the, the different stuff with him and, and Tammy Terrell, um, marrying, you know, uh, Barry Gordy's sister who is gosh, what, 14 years older than him or something like that. I mean, there, there's just, there's so much there which I think is probably why there hasn't been a documentary made because any documentary about Marvin Gaye is probably going to tarnish his image a little bit. I would like to see a really good documentary about Chrissy Hine because I feel like her book um, to, to that topic, um, she glossed over a lot of stuff. Like I, I didn't feel like, um, her story was really told. Uh, she really wanted to control, you know, the narrative of her life. And um, yeah, I just, I, I still don't think I know who Chrissy Hine is, even though I've read her book. Um, and then the last one I would throw out here, cause um, I'm, I'm a Prince nut. I would love to see an exhaustive documentary about him. Um, cause I feel like we know him through purple rain and, and maybe a little bit of sign of the times if you, you know, watch that movie, but, um, there's so much more to him that I, that just the genius of how much music he turned out, not only for himself, but for other people. And I think it would just be, uh, absolutely fascinating to, to, kind of see what made him tick. Yeah. Um, before um, I throw it to you, Eric, I got two things I want to say on these. Number one, Marvin Gaye was on my list as well for the exact reasons you mentioned. And I'm pretty sure that's because the episode you guys did on your podcast, Records You Visited on What's Going On, was so good. I've kind of had him on the brain lately ever since um, listening to that episode. So I'm with you. I would want a deep, exhaustive not celebratory documentary on Marvin Gaye. And then uh, real quick, I'll mention a Prince documentary. This was going to be my alternate that I was going to mention later, but now that you've brought it up, I can pick a different alternate. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a documentary out there called Slave Trade, How Prince Remade the Music Business. And uh, I saw it on Axis TV. It's not like a hugely professional looking documentary it's probably made by like eagle rock or one of those kind of straight to dvd type uh production companies but it was so fascinating and it's a warts and all look at how why he pushed so hard well the whole slave thing the whole like changing his name and all of that was his him demanding to be paid like a hundred million bucks he wanted to be the most the richest most highly paid rock star ever whether he deserved it or not, they caved and then he wasn't selling enough to justify this contract and it caused all these problems. And that's where you come away from this realizing that it's it's instinctual for all of us to support Prince and be on his side because we love him. But you realize that he shot himself in the foot on all of this, 
and uh, a lot of it was his his own fault. So anyway, look for that somewhere. I don't know where you're going to find it, but it's called Slave Trade, How Prince Remade the Music Business, and it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Anyway, go ahead, Eric. Let's hear yours. Yeah, and just a point to we love Prince and all. There, you know, there's that old adage: if you look too closely at your heroes, you know, or don't look too closely at your heroes. Like he was a villain in some scenarios, right? Yeah. It doesn't take away, as was John Lennon and every human. Um, it's just part of us. Uh, but yeah, I, Marvin Gaye is at the top of my list as well for all the reasons you guys said. There's there's a great book by Michael Eric Dyson if you know him. Um, about this, Mercy, Mercy Me, The Art, uh, Loves, and Demons of Marvin Gaye, that would be a great starting point. If you haven't read the book or whatever, go. that's a good place to start. But uh, yeah, Marvin Gaye, it's top of my list. Um, and Sam Cooke, for mm. the exact same reasons, just shifted ahead like uh, 20 years, right? Uh, you know, same thing. There hasn't been, like, there are these guys that are iconic guys that, you know, they're... I don't want to say their legacy is slipping away, but uh, the further distance there is between us and their impact on the business, uh, again, to my point, culturally, what those guys meant to, you know, um, to the African-American culture and community and artists that came after them is immeasurable. And they haven't been given their just due, both Marvin and Sam Cooke. Um, and even one more shifting it even back another 20 years, Sister Rosetta Tharp. You know, I would absolutely love to see a Sister Rosetta documentary. She's, you know, if you know who she is, you get why, but she's not a household name, and a lot of people don't know who she is. There's a really great stage show that travels the country. I guess you can license it. It's um, uh, Marie and Rosetta. It's kind of her, and there are various actresses that play Sister Rosetta, and they play um, they play her music and gospel and stuff like that, but it's her basically... Uh, coaching a protege or whatever. So, like, the material is just already written. So I would love to see um, something, e- even a biopic on her. But, yeah, Sister Rosetta deserves some uh, some attention. Um, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Cheap Trick. I get it. But I, I don't think there is a comprehensive Cheap Trick documentary. And I think that's a band that definitely deserves mm. one. Yeah. Uh, same for Fleetwood Mac. You know, we've seen... You know, Fleetwood Mac, we've seen the hour long behind the music. And like like Ben said, there are so many just like hour long documentaries produced as part of a TV series or something like that. But there hasn't been for the big screen a fully comprehensive Fleetwood Mac, you know, even multi-part documentary. I would love to see something. And this story is still unfolding with them, which is Uh even more interesting. Uh, And then the other one, I'll just throw it out there. People, People in... In the United States, kind of see the Scorpions as this metal band with a couple of hits, Rocky Like a Hurricane. But globally speaking, they're a massive band. And I don't think there's been, uh, you know, uh, they're a band that had a moment in history, particularly because they had the Wind of Change song as the Berlin Wall is coming down. And that is historic. And I think their story needs to be told because they have, what, 40 year career? You know, globally huge, you know, never really dropped off. So, yeah, Scorpions would be another one. That was a bit of a list. But. Good. That's Those are all great. And, and Frente. I mean, come on. <laughs> and Letters to Cleo. <laughs> Letters to Cleo documentary. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Dan Reed Network. Don't forget <laughs> that one. That's an, I am proud to say I've contributed a little bit to the Dan Reed Network documentary. Good. Right you on. and 20 other people will watch that. I'm just, <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll watch it. 
Um, okay. Uh, the, I, uh, the list I made includes a lot of the people you already mentioned, but there were two others that I wanted to throw out there. One is, and, um, I think I've probably seen a show or like an hour long documentary or something, you know, a behind the music type thing on this, but I would love to see a real warts and all documentary on Sylvester Stewart from Sly and the family stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Because I mean, he obviously, was at the peak of music geniusness there for a while and he lost all of it. And, uh, I would love to see an honest retelling of that, you know, of the, that fall from grace, what he did when he was at his height was so magical and he's never recaptured it. And now he lives in a bus or something like that somewhere. And, uh, that's crazy. And another one I was thinking of is, um, Luther Vandross, and the reason I feel that way is because, so after Whitney Houston died, they made a couple of really excellent documentaries about her. One of them's called I, uh, Can I Be Me? And you learn from this that because she was so beautiful and could sing so beautifully, she seemed like she was just the epitome of like America's sweetheart and uh, this good natured, pure and clean little angelic soul and when you dig into it you realize it her beauty uh was a her beauty belied what was actually going on she was most likely a lesbian she uh was grew up in the you know with drugs all around her in like a really messed up family really messed up culture she was more street than she was like this beautiful soul and when you see how conflicted she was throughout her life having to kind of where she came from versus where everyone wanted her to go and how to get there and do it authentically was a, the trial I think of her life. And that's what kind of brought her down. I could see something similar maybe happening with Luther Vandross. I think everyone knows that he was most likely gay. He probably, he struggled with his weight his entire life. These are things that now are out in the open. If you were at his prime now, he would be like a Sam Smith. He would probably be out and proud and, fat or skinny or whatever, you know, people don't get bogged down like about those kinds of things like they used to back then. He felt like he had to hide all of that in order to be the lover man crooner that he famously was. I would love to see what was really going on with him. You know, like what's really, uh, what did he have to kind of tuck away and, and hide about himself in order to be the great singer that he was? Those are a couple that I thought of. Just since we're talking documentaries, the way you describe the Whitney Houston one, you could just pull her name out and plop in Amy Winehouse, and that's the Amy documentary, right? With her, exactly. her family exploiting or her being pushed in these weird directions. But, I mean, she was uh, – her public persona was catastrophic. It's, you know, it's this immeasurable amount of fame at a young, fragile age and what the results of it are right plus drug use plus abuse plus you know it's just a tragedy so that's that's another you know we didn't get to our list yet but that didn't make my list but i wanted to mention it since you kind of brought it up in the context of what houston i thought that was pretty similar well it did make my list so i'm gonna ask oh. you to shut up okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> please stop talking anyway um Okay, let's talk about bad documentaries. First of all, I don't know that there are that many bad documentaries. There are ones that are ineffective. There are ones that maybe take an approach or an angle to a subject that I wish it wouldn't. Um, and I've made some a list of some of those that I 
that are on my list. But let's go back to you, Brad. What are some ineffective or unsuccessful documentaries in your mind? Well, like I said, if you go on Amazon or Netflix from these places, you'll find a lot of them out there um, that just aren't that great. Um, I'm not going to say they're terrible, but they don't live up to the subject matter. Eric, when you were talking about Sam Cooke, there is a documentary on Amazon I watched about two months ago, six weeks ago, something like that, about basically just about his murder. That's real, like they try to, I don't know, it's almost like they're kind of taking like a film noir angle on it. It's, But it's fairly cheesily done in a low budget. Um, hey, I respect anyone who thinks they want to go out and tell a story. It's great. But did it really do the subject matter justice? No. There's a lot like that. But I, for me, the the ones that I, I don't know, maybe wrestle with the most are the ones that that should have been great, but somehow just fall a little bit short. Um, there's kind of three of them that I jotted down. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is the Big Star documentary, Nothing mm -hmm. Can Hurt Me, a band that I love to death, and their story is really fascinating. But again, going back to my criteria of the documentary should make you understand why this band matters, why they're great, why you should have their records, why people love them. And I don't think that quite got there. It just falls a little short of the mark, I think, of really capturing why that band is so important and yet, you know, generally considered to be the world's biggest unknown band. Mm -hmm. um, another one is the B.B. King documentary, Life of Riley. I love B.B. Mm -hmm. King. I it's just hugely important to me. But again, I think it just falls short of really capturing what made B.B. special. And then there's a new one that came out um, about ZZ Top, little old band from Texas, mm -hmm. that was okay. But again, I don't think that would convince you... Um, to go out and buy any ZZ Top records or really understand what what makes that band quite special to a lot of people. Um, so I thought that was a little bit of a, of a disappointment. Good. Ben, what about you? Yeah, I... See, Brad, I, I, I kind of like the Big Star uh, documentary. I think that there were a lot of things that they missed I really feel like they didn't, they didn't really, they didn't really shine the light on Chris Bell enough. Yes. Because yes. I felt like uh, they kind of glossed over his, his death and his sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they, they, they missed some opportunities. I like the rest of the documentary though. Yeah. I'm um, not saying it's, I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it, it, it didn't quite, reach the finish line, you know, it sort of falls yeah. apart before you get there, which is almost more tragic than falling right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever watched a, a rock documentary where I'm like, man, that really sucked. Like I'm, I always get something out of it. There's a few that, that I get done with and I go, that was a little campy. Like if, um, if you guys watched the Soaked in Bleach documentary about Kurt Cobain, mm. um, it, it definitely felt as though they were 
glamorizing and almost making a uh, like a, a 2020 crime special out of it, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, maybe that was the angle that they were going for. If so, then I guess they succeeded. Um, but I, I don't know. That's I, I would rather concentrate on the ones that I I want to see instead of I'm sure if I watched a few documentaries of bands that I'm I'm only marginally interested in. I would probably have a different opinion. Um, I was never a huge Stone Roses fan. So that documentary that I watched didn't turn me into a Stone Roses fan. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. Okay. The one I'm going to highlight and you guys will hopefully will agree with my reasoning on why is the muscle muscle shoals documentary mm-hmm. and I'm all in on that. And I, the content of it is not the thing that I have an issue with, but sometimes stylistically, maybe the band, this is what you were getting at on some of the, you mentioned as well is if they're overloading and like filling in with B roll of, mm-hmm. you know, someone standing in a field or an empty house or like, you know, fingers grazing over wheatgrass, like gladiator style or whatever, like, <laughs> These prolonged shots, these B-roll shots, I'm like, just fucking trim that out, man. Like, you got an extra half an hour where, get to the good stuff. When do the Allman Brothers show up? You know, get, get to that, right? Like, I get, on Muscle Shoals, I get, the, you know, the stories largely around Rick Hall and the environment and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, nothing, not to discount his, his tragedies in his life, but... You know, there's like a, a five minute detour about his father, and I'm like, I, I, that's not that's not why I'm watching this. You know, mm-hmm. um, so sometimes they meander, scope creep, you might call that, right? And when they overload it with B-roll, it gets to be exhausting. And I, you know, it I, I tend to snooze through those moments. And having said that, another uh, brutal example of that recently, and it breaks my heart to say it, is the Clarence Clemens "Who Do You Think I Am," which was on Netflix. And I mean, who's not going to love a documentary about the big man? That's who doesn't want to. I see never that? finished it, but it, yeah, it's it's so much of that, and I I think it's just kind of the cards they were dealt. I think they were filming something, and then he passed away, and then they had this, and they maybe cobbled it together. And but there's there's just a lot of long shots of him in a white suit, you know, walking and staring, and you know, reciting poetry and. You know, I wanted to like it so bad, but it's 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 burdened by the production and you know lack of focus in that case. Like, how do you make a Clarence documentary and not focus a big part of it on his role with Bruce? Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a head scratcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that pissed me off, I'm going to say that I actually hated, pissed me off, was uh, the Twisted Sister one. And oh, I'm not a twist. Really, I like that one. Uh, I'm not a Twisted Sister fan, and it was it was comprehensive. Right. Yeah. Up and up until whatever. Stay hungry. But I didn't know that going in. I'm watching and think, oh, I'm going to get the full Twisted Sister story. Mm-hmm. And then an hour and a half later, I'm like, they didn't even get to the record I know. Like this is them in junior high school playing in bands. I don't care about that. Like it mm-hmm. should have said it should have been We Are Twisted Fucking Sister Part One. <laughs> you know, the early years. Then I would be like, all right, I can skip that. I'll get to the you know the. Uh, the 80s or whatever but yeah that one annoyed. I, I remember getting to the end of it and being like you know maybe how some people view the end of the Sopranos when it just went black and you were like that was it what what happened 
you know, uh, yeah, I remember being really annoyed at that to the point where if there ever is a part two where they get into the, you know, the actual stay hungry years and beyond them, I'm, I'm not going to watch it just out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting, that, uh, <laughs> interesting that you mentioned the Muscle Shoals documentary because um, I had sort of a sub list of, of three that um, I wasn't quite as disappointed in as I was the three that I mentioned, but that Muscle Shoals one was on there because, again, I don't think they fully got what made uh, mm-hmm. that scene so magical the way that, say, the... Uh, there's a great documentary on stacks called respect yourself. Yes. Which was directed by Morgan Neville, who um, we'll talk about again, but uh, he also directed that recent documentary on Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I felt that muscle shows ones fell a little bit uh, short. There's a series uh, called sound breaking that was kind of supposed to be. Yeah, that's really good. Although I, I mean, the problem with that one is that the scope was so huge. It was basically trying to document the entire history of recorded music. And I mean, how do you do that? Right. That's it's, but it's, I mean, it it is how a lot of insight into being a producer and what a producer does and what a recording engineer and all of that. But that one was a little bit disappointing. I think only because it just, it was almost an unreachable goal. There's also the produced by George Martin uh, documentary, mm-hmm. which maybe because I read his book prior to that, which really gets more into George. Um, I felt that didn't quite touch uh, everything, but um, I mean, they're all worth watching though. I wouldn't tell anyone don't, don't watch any of those films. Um, but um, there's things I would put in front of them. That's all. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. I really liked sound breaking. And in fact, we, um, maybe that's even another line of thought is a documentary series. Like, I don't know if you guys watched the country music recent documentary series from Ken Burns, but that was so, that was a revelation to me. Revelation. I loved every second of it. I haven't gone to that yet. Um, but it's something I should really watch. Um, yeah, I mean, almost, almost in my my top but it didn't it's kind of a cheat but the all of the classic albums series yeah are mm-hmm. i just i love every one of those again even on records that i'm not necessarily a huge fan of it's just i just love that stuff when they show the producer in the in the control room going back and you know pulling up just the bass track or just mm-hmm. the, you know i just i just a sucker for that i love all of the classic album series and the um the beatles anthology I mean, it's it's authorized by the Beatles, so it's not necessarily warts and all. But I think there was enough push and pull between George and Paul that you it's not just a complete uh, glossy rose-colored glasses look at the band. But I mean, that's a, that's ten hours. If you're looking to kill ten hours, watch that series because that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me, I've, I want to mention some of the bad docs that I wrote down. I think these are all pretty niche. I had muscle shoals on my list too. Another one that got really famous a few years ago that kind of bugged me was young at heart about, um, people go like old folks homes. These, these, uh, I don't know, musical directors were kind of going into like retirement communities and old folks homes and having them put on concerts, singing modern rock music. It got kind of, popular it was as far as rock docs go it played in regular theaters i just thought it was so sappy and and uh handled so fluffily i didn't care for it at all 
I don't know if anyone even remembers that one, but some of the other ones that I wanted to throw out are very niche. So I don't know if like the Sherman brothers, I don't know if anyone will even care. One that really bugged me was this documentary on Paul Williams called still alive that came out a few years ago. And, um, the reason this pissed me off is because I think now Paul Williams, you guys may remember him. He was this little sure. kind of munchkin, blonde haired. He was always very, unlike uh, like Hollywood Squares oh. when I was a kid. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. And Fantasy Island and yeah. Love Boat. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He worked with the monkeys as well. And I think, didn't he play Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch? If I'm not uh, <laughs> 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 No, but it looks just like him. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, he wrote a ton of hits like Rainbow Connection and um, We've Only Just Begun from the Carpenters and a bunch of other things. And he was in a lot of uh, Burt Reynolds movies like Stroker Ace back in the day. And um, anyway, he disappeared for years and years because of this massive drug problem. And um, I always assumed he was dead. I didn't. I mean, like you, I mentioned, Brad, he he was on The Tonight Show all the time when I was little. And then I just never saw him again. And now he's, I believe, the president of ASCAP or the Songwriters Association or something like that. He's been clean now for about 30 years. And anytime I ever hear him on someone else's podcast, he's just a welcome, beautiful bolt of light. He's just decency and goodness personified. He seems that way anyway. And um, he's really turned his life around. And this documentary is more about the the documentary documentarian trying to get a hold of him and to make a good documentary on him mm-hmm. than the show he actually deserves to have made about him. And so that was just we kind of touched on this earlier. There's documentaries like that are just missed opportunities. Like you had Paul Williams and this is the story that you wanted to tell. This story is dumb, you know? That's that's a narcissistic documentarian trying to insert their own story into the the topic. Those are not good document documentaries. And, you know, I, I, I learned that firsthand. So my, my best friend did, did a documentary and, um, I, I went to one of the, the film festivals that he showed it at. And, you know, we, we went and saw a couple other documentaries that were being shown. And I was like, that was okay. He was like, it was horrible. And I was like, well, why? He was like, had nothing to do with the topic. It was all about the, 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 the director and the producer of that documentary. They wanted to be in every shot. Mm. And that's, that's, that's not what you're looking for in a documentary. That's a movie. Yeah. That's that's mistaken for strangers that I that I brought up earlier. It's not necessarily a documentary. It's more of a movie uh, that just happens to also have music and a little bit of that uh, document documentary uh, feel to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I, I've watched a number of documentaries like that, and those piss me off too. Yeah, you reminded me. It's not a musical one, but the Bill Murray stories where there's a guy, there's these urban myths of Bill Murray out in the world doing random acts of kindness and meeting people and singing happy birthday to Granny at the ball game and all that stuff. And the the documentarian puts himself in pursuit of Bill Murray, you know, to to get his own Bill Murray moment, right? Mm. Um, 
And I agree that that can be, it's a really fine edge that you would walk if you're a documentarian to not be narcissistic. But I think it can work in some scenarios because, you know, the summary and the lesson learned in that instance in the Bill Murray one was, I don't need to have my own Bill Murray moment to enjoy the others that are out in the ethos, right? Mm -hmm. So you can use it in a way effectively, but I, I think nine cases out of 10, what you said, Ben, is 100% right. It's just someone trying to get in the camera and, you know, mm -hmm. make a film about them making a film and, you know, lose sight of the subject matter. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, a couple more niche ones. Uh, and these are ones I don't know if anyone will even care. There was a, there, I think still is a documentary on Hulu about Grace Jones called Bloodlight and Bami. And um, she's just so erratic and such a trip and she's not the best person to tell her own story. I think Grace Jones would be a really interesting subject for a documentary, but it should probably be done by somebody else. Um, and another one that didn't really hit me. And we, my wife and I, Farrah and I saw this at Sundance at the Sundance film festival. And that's, uh, it's called montage of heck. And it's about, uh, Kurt Cobain came out probably five or six years ago. Yes. Uh, it's good. You like that one. See, I didn't really like that one. And, um, I realized why, and I wanted to touch on this in a minute because it was, I didn't like the style that it was made in. It was, um, and sometimes the message of a good documentary can get distracted or get lost in if the style, if a filmmaker is making such a choice stylistically that it, it kind of neuters or confuses. Like I, my feeling is always just let the information speak for itself. It's like Eric was saying earlier about all the B roll and muscle shoals and the wheatgrass and you're, you're taking it down this road that it doesn't need to be. Just give me two hours of nonstop information, you know, and trivia. That's all I need. I don't need, um, you know, I don't need funny camera was, angles. I don't need was it the, well, Yeah. I was just going to say, was it the cartoony stuff that they interjected into the documentary? Is that what was off-putting for you? Probably. I just want the documentary to be, I just want to be injected with information. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because uh, another documentary that I really liked, but is very oddly stylized is a documentary on the, on the replacements called color me obsessed. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. It features no music from the band and no interviews from anybody in the band. It's so just it's fans. All, yeah. It's all fans yeah. talking about, their music and uh it's riveting and it's super long it's over two hours long but it's really really good even though it doesn't have any of the things that make a good documentary typically the music and the subject matter it doesn't have either of those things so it's a really interesting documentary if you want to check it out and then um there are some that are that are almost as much document uh, uh, concert footage or concert uh performance as they are documentary for instance there's this one that's pretty popular and it's pretty good it's on netflix echo in the canyon and it's jacob dylan bob dylan's son kind of going around interviewing people that made up the laurel canyon sound and it's that part is nice but then it cut, keeps cutting to this like modern concert that they're putting on and i don't care about that part that's the part that feels like a like a commercial or another one was the dave Grohl documentary sun city about that uh you know the recording studio down in la the first hour or so is really inter interesting information about Sun City and then the last half hour is people coming together to like jam and play songs that were, would have been recorded there and I don't need that part it, that part felt like the the commercial for the soundtrack CD you know 
Anyway. It's a bit of a deal breaker that the Canyon one, I felt that I turned it off. You know, once they, once it was two or three performances in, I was like, yeah, that's not what I wanted to see here. Yeah. He lost me. Yeah. But Eric, it has Fiona Apple in it. I know that. So I, so I gave it a try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you guys on that one. It was, um, it was a mixed bag. I did watch yeah. the whole thing, but I, I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, there was another one that uh, kind of along these same lines that we touched on earlier, standing on the shadows of Motown about the Funk Brothers. Sure. Which is revelatory to learn about all these people, kind of like the Buena Vista Social Club documentary from even before that, where you're learning about the guys who are making the music or the wrecking crew that are making the music that you love. But I think because Barry Gordy had a hand in producing that documentary, none of them say anything bad about the way they were treated, how they were paid, the respect they were given. It was all celebratory and honorary. And which is great because it tells their story, but you know there is more to that story that should be told and isn't getting told. I was a little pissed off with that one. Yeah. The soundtrack of that movie is actually really good, though. Okay, so if no one has anything else they want to throw out, I just want to ask one or two more questions. I'm curious if you could, and maybe you've already answered this with the previous question, if you had the capacity to make your own music documentary, who, who or what would you make a documentary on? And I assume that question, for me, the answer to that is different than who I would like to see a documentary of, because I don't think I have the talent or ability to give Sylvester Stewart like the best documentary he deserves. But there is a topic here and there or a person here and there that I would love to just put my camera on and come up with something to kind of tell their story. Does anyone, hopefully that differentiates enough. Let's go with you first, Eric. Is there a subject that if you could, you would like to make your own documentary on? I don't have an answer for that per se, but I've kind of started to work on that through podcasting over the last several years. So if I have, and there are two artists I mentioned, one is Sister Rosetta Tharp and the other is Sam Cooke. So if I have an interview with someone that has been in their orbit, you know, after the interview is done, I kind of get their opinion on these artists, right? So I have, I have these other outtakes of, you know, various artists talking about uh, Rosetta and Sam. And my intention was to put them together in some sort of audio documentary format, right? Uh, so I kind of have started that. It's a long, the arc is long. But, you yeah. know, uh, the one thing that I like to share, because I'm super proud of it, and forgive me for sharing this, if Do it. it comes off as a, but I interviewed Paul Rogers, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I had the opportunity to ask Paul Rogers about Sam Cooke, and he broke out into some song. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I had Paul Rogers singing Sam Cooke to me. And I think wow. my reaction was, Fucking, I, he sang whatever he sang. I forget what it was. I think it was good news, right? He sang good news for a few bars or whatever. And then my reaction was like, fucking Paul Rogers singing me Sam Cooke. And he just started <laughs> laughing, right? So I have this great outtake stuff. I had the Blind Boys guy talking about Sister Rosetta. I've had, uh, I think, Sarah Dash and Amy Helm. I have like these collection of little vignettes. And my intention was to put them together in a documentary style. So you know, I never really thought of it uh, in a film sense, but I kind of worked on a little bit in an audio uh, documentary style. I don't know if that Very answers cool. the question, but... Yeah, that's great. Okay, Brad, what about you? If you could, what would you put your camera on? Well, I'm not really qualified to do anything like that, but one thing that uh, that I would like to push to see is, um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the, the Nuggets compilations. 
mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. 60s garage sort of psychedelic bands. And I would like to see mm-hmm. a documentary, uh, a visual of, of what those records represent, which are just all these bands that you can't even call them one-hit wonders because they were barely even hits. But all of these kids from the came in the wake of the Beatles, right, that just formed these garage bands and just... just so many of them are just so wacky and the songs are mm-hmm. wacky and, and, uh, but I just, I love that stuff. And I'd like to see all that sort of collected in sort of one, one place, just that history of when rock and I love that period because to me that 66, 67 era is when the music was both expanding and exploring and yet still had a naivete about it that's just really charming and and by the time the heavy drugs hit in the 70s that was lost but there there was that window there um mm-hmm. that i just i love that period and it's just fascinating to me so i'd love to see that on that's film cool that's cool. can i can i interject here um yeah that's awesome but brad you got me thinking you know we're focusing a lot on the the bands and genres and stuff like that what i'd love to see more business oriented you know, like the the Tower Records documentary that Tom mm, Hanks that's a great one. did. Oh, that's good. You know, like what's the deal with in the fifties or sixties? Tire companies were putting out albums and competing with each other. What the hell is the story behind that, right? And K Tail Records and the you know Columbia Record Club and all that stuff. Like, I'd love to see even if it's just an hour. Like, what's how did that start? Who ran it? Why did it fail? I'd love to get a comprehensive story on you know, all those things I mentioned and more just sort of from the business side of things, you know, we, you know, we can focus on Motown and stacks and labels and scenes and muscle shoals, but it'd be interesting to get some, some more of the business side of, you know, these just random things that exist, but we never really sort of scratch the surface, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me interject myself before I get to Ben. Um, Two things. One, I think you, I hadn't thought of that, but a documentary on KTEL, would yeah. be fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> that is a fascinating idea. I had never thought of that before. That is a golden uh, idea right there. I would love that. Secondly, that I just want to say real quick, the Tower Records documentary. I worked for Tower for a couple of years. I know the people, a lot of the people in that documentary. Um, that's one of my favorite music documentaries because of the subject matter, but I got fired from Tower. And uh, so <laughs> I, I, I have a... I have a hard time watching that documentary because it makes me, it pains me so much that I got my dream job and I screwed it up. So anyway, a little commentary on Tower Records. Go ahead, Ben. Let's hear your topic you'd like to see covered. Yeah, you guys are cracking me up with the whole KTEL thing because the original premise of my podcast, we were just going to do KTEL Records. Wow. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> But we we uh, we wised up and decided to uh, branch out a little bit more. Um, I, I would say if you're going to put me in the documentarian chair, um, this is completely self-serving on my part. But I would do a documentary on Elvis Costello just so that I could hang out with him because mm. I feel like he is. If you guys have read his book. Uh, I felt he was extremely honest and forthcoming on uh, on displaying all of his, maybe not all of his warts, but I feel like uh, 
if somebody were to do a documentary about him, that I think that he would be an open book. I think it would be very fascinating. All right. Let me mention mine. I, uh, you mentioned Elvis Costello. I would love to see a documentary made on Nile Rogers because I would want to hang out with him. I, he's like my favorite raconteur in all of music. I would just love to sit at his feet and talk music for a while. But the thing that came to mind for me, and this kind of goes back to and yum yum and yeah yum yum. That's right. You remember. <laughs> um, so the one that came to mind for me, and this kind of goes back a little bit to what Eric was saying, is that. I um, I think we all try to kind of aspire to make our podcasts documentary like. I mean, they're you know they're time capsules. They're documented for history. We're documenting the history of rock and roll in our own way. Whether it's people telling their own stories, people telling other people's stories, people di- dissecting the music, whatever it might be. I think we're all contributing to this overall topic. And so because of that, um, two people I've had on the show on my show very early on were. Robin Clark and her husband, Carlos Alomar. And Carlos is, was David Bowie's guitarist for many, many years. And um, I became a little bit friendly with Robin. I haven't kept in touch, but for a while there, we were you know, emailing and saying nice things to each other and stuff like that. And I always thought, I wish that I, I, wish that I knew how to make a documentary because I would love to make a, one on them. They've been married for 45 years or something like that, which is rare in the rock world anyway. Carlos has his whole David Bowie angle to his story to talk about. She has Simple Minds, her background, backup singing, and just what it takes to keep a marriage together under those circumstances for all that time. I would, and I'd love to know, and I want to really get in there too. Like, has it always been happy? Has have you guys been faithful to each other? Were drugs ever involved? You. What's the real? What's the reality of you know being a rock star married to the same woman for forty five years, but touring the world um, as well? I just I would love to. It, it doesn't have to be a full length movie, but just get deep deep interviews with the two of them on camera, documented for history, because I think there might be a really interesting story there. Why don't you invite them on together? Yeah, I uh, I should I. I emailed Robin recently to see if she and or Carlos would want to come on and do a deep dive with me as like a olive branch to restart our, Hey, remember me? We used to be buddies about three or four years ago, you know, and I didn't hear back. So I don't know. I don't know if like they were, you know, you don't know how much in someone else's life you really matter. So I don't know. I should probably try something like that sometime. Um, okay. Well, I think we've come to the part where we should count down our docs. Is there anything, any other subject or genre or, um, just topic within the overall rock doc conversation that you feel like we need to touch on before we do that? Any of you? Let's, I mean, I would normally ask each one of you individually, but I'll just throw it out there. Is there something we've missed before we go to our list? Yeah, the one thing that that um, I just want to make mention of, and we don't have to get into it too much, but they're, we're all roughly the same age uh, group. We definitely grew up in the 80s, 90s, right? Uh, boy, I miss having a stable, like, remember how cool Behind the Music was? Yeah, right? yeah. When you would watch, you know, 
as annoying as the guy's voice was, especially listening back to it now, and you know the bumpers before and after the commercial breaks were just overkill. But you know, just the revelations that would come out of that, and you would see like, oh, this Sunday coming up, it's going to be the Bengals. This is going to be great, right? And you would look forward to you know a bit of a deep dive, scratching the surface, you know, uh, look at these bands. They would force an issue, of course, if there wasn't an issue, uh, you know. It was a you know they would they would make an issue you know uh, if there wasn't an issue it was whatever was happening historically this this of course happened around the L.A. riots and right. that affected the band in a deep way they would like interject an issue right but uh-huh. just just the consistency of that show you know when we didn't have podcasts we didn't have the interwebs we didn't have you know the twenty five gazillion documentaries on IMDb or whatever but. You know, you just had that weekly series, and coming up this week, it's going to be Men at Work. Like, oh, I can't wait to, this is going to be cool, right? Like, having something like that, uh, I miss that feeling of the anticipation of behind the music. If only there were a cable television um, channel that would actually play music 24 hours a day. Is, is there any of those that exist? All right. Okay, sorry. Uh, that's yeah. funny. Um, one... Two things I want to say about that. Number one, that was uh, that was kind of my philosophy around my own podcast. If I could, you know, self talk about myself for a minute, that was kind of the idea. Is like behind the music's for everybody. You get a behind the music. You get a behind the music. You get a behind. You know, that was that was kind of the thinking. Is like, well, let's let's talk. Let's do a behind the music for the littler guys. You know, yeah. and um, and I should I was going to mention this at some point and I wasn't sure when to in, uh, insert it. So I will now. One of the beauties of YouTube is that if you, you could talk, you, any, any person you want to know a little something about, you can just type it in there and add the word documentary at the end. And chances are, God bless them. The BBC has made a show about this person or this band. And uh, I go down the rabbit hole all the time. And if I could do a quick plug, um, I stumbled on this great documentary called Synth Britannia, and it's all about like Human League and Heaven 17 and the early days of New Wave, Ultravox, that kind of stuff. But there's also Prague Britannia and Punk Britannia and Metal Britannia, and each one's like an hour and a half, and there are all these wonderful BBC-produced documentaries. So pick a topic. Any Like I watched one on Captain Beefheart, and uh, – I hate, I don't get Captain Beefheart at all, but the, the hour long BBC thing I watched was fascinating. You know, there's, I saw this great one on Peter Green from the early Fleetwood Mac. Anyway, pick somebody, type it in there, write down documentary and chances are something will come up. It's really, we're blessed to have that at this stage. Um, Okay. Anyone else want to throw anything else out before we go to our lists? I've got some honorable mentions that um, I would recommend to people. Um, yeah. If you haven't seen them, uh, Fallen Angel, the documentary on Graham Parsons, mm-hmm. who's kind of considered the father of country rock. That's a really great one, fascinating one. Uh, Chasing Sound about Les Paul, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. I think most people have probably seen the Rush documentary, Behind the Lighted Stage, one of the great documentaries of all time. Again, if you watch that and it doesn't make you love Rush, I don't know what to say. But there was a film that kind of followed that, a concert film called Time Stand Still. It came out 
a year or so after that documentary about their last tour that has a lot of footage of both uh, interviews with the band as well as some fans in there. Um, uh, features quite a bit of um, Jillian Marianovich, who actually worked in the White House for Obama, who is a huge Rush fan. Um, that's a great one. And XTC, this is pop, which mm. is the history of XTC. That's a great one. So, yeah, if people were looking for things to do while you're isolating at home, there's a bunch. Check all those Good. out. I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those. Good. Uh, ben, any last thoughts from you before we go into our lists? Uh, I was going to say, so my honorable mention, just to piss you off, is uh, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart by Wilco. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good one. Uh, So I'm going to save my alternate until the end, just in case. But uh, if we're talking about some honorable mentions, there was, we, if, you know, during the quarantine, there was like this month long free preview of Showtime and on Showtime was this really excellent Motown documentary called Hitsville, the making of Motown. Mm -hmm. Um, It must've been, Made a few years ago because Barry, not a few, maybe five years ago because Barry Gordy was looking really good. And I think he's getting old now. But anyway, nothing's ever improved on Motown, I don't think. Early Motown. And uh, these people, it is a little more honorary. You know that there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on that doesn't come out in the story. But just if you want to reappreciate some music, watch Hitsville, The Making of Motown. It's fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna kick my. I'm gonna say my first one because it came up earlier. So I'll go first, and then we'll. I'll let you guys go around. Yeah, the Amy Winehouse documentary, just called Amy, was one of the two that I wanted to mention. The reason being is everything you said earlier, Eric. It's easy to uh, see Amy as just someone who had talent and then got into drugs and ruined it all and died, and they may have even deserved it because she was a drunk and she was a mess and she messed up her life. And you watch that documentary and you realize that she was so incredibly talented, more talented than you realize. And uh, she, yes, she screwed it all up, but it's a shame. It's not a situation, it's, you know, it's, you may have been tempted prior to that to say they deserved it in some way because of their behavior, but she, it's such a shame. And there are these interludes in the documentary that where it shows as she's singing, it'll show her sing and then it'll show uh it'll show the the lyrics kind of written out while she's singing and you realize she wrote all those lyrics i think because she plays she sings and plays kind of retro music it might be easy to assume that she was copying other people that whole time or covering them or whatever but she was her own unique talent she wrote those songs and that got lost in the story or the narrative that was around when she was alive And so I really think that's a fantastic documentary for anybody to kind of appreciate that there was way more to Amy Winehouse than you would have real than you think along those same lines. I've been lucky recently. I got to um, watch a documentary that hasn't come out yet on Susie Quattro and it's kind of similar. Um, You get a real understanding that she, there was more to her than being, you know, this rock chick that started it all, but had some hits in the seventies and then kind of went away. Um, I love learning new depths to these artists. And so anyway, that's going to be my first choice. Ben, let's go to you. What's your first choice? Uh, so my first choice, and this is a uh, completely, completely, uh, a selfish thing. And, uh, 
will probably show where I grew up, but uh, uh, I really enjoyed the documentary on Marco Collins, who is the uh, hey. uh, essentially the DJ in Seattle who broke a number of bands, including Nirvana and Beck. And um, so, so the documentary is called The Glamour and the Squalor. And uh, Marco is pretty much an open book. So there's a lot of warts and all uh, of his story, but um, I just found it uh, completely mesmerizing. And and again, this was somebody that uh, I grew up listening to. Um, My brother is a huge Marco Collins nerd. And um, uh, luckily he's, he's still around, uh, which is amazing considering uh, his story of, of just drugs and debauchery and, and, uh, um, yeah, I just found it a, a really amazing, amazing piece and, and is a really good snapshot of that early nineties. That's one of the documentaries I've watched in the last few months and, uh, I really liked it. And I, we're Facebook friends now because I've debate, I've been debating whether to bring him on the show to talk deeper about his documentary. That's one thing maybe you guys can relate. Like if there's already a documentary made about somebody, do I need to, do I need to have them on the show to talk deeper or further? It's like the story is already out there, but anyway, considering it, that's a really good recommendation. I like that one too. Brad, let's go to you. What's your first choice? Uh, well, getting it down to two is really hard. So I kind of have a two a and two B and a one a and a one B. Uh, my, my two cheater. I know. Well, what are you going to do? You can edit it out if you want, but I'm going to steamroll right over you. Uh, my my 2B uh, would be a recent documentary on Jeff Beck called Still on the Run from 2018. Um, and it really captures why Jeff Beck is, in my opinion, our greatest living guitar player. Just, just some beautiful stuff. Um, but uh, my, my second favorite documentary of all time is one we've already mentioned here, 20 Feet from Stardom, directed mm-hmm. by Morgan Neville, who we mentioned before. He's the guy that did the Mr. Rogers documentary and the Stax documentary, among others, uh, from 2013. It, uh, it's, it does everything a great documentary should do. It shines a light on an, kind of a, no pun intended, unsung part of music history, uh, the background singers that we've all heard on a million records, but don't really, we don't know them by name. We don't necessarily pay attention to them, but they make, many times they make the song, period. They just make it work. They take a, a good song and make it great. Um, it's filled with triumph and heartbreak and hard knocks and most of all, survival of how these these artists have survived and the the message that comes across most in the in the documentary is to me is just the love of music none of these people are getting rich off of it none of them are getting famous off of it but it's a talent they have and they just love to sing and it that joy is captured in every moment in in that documentary you know even when Darlene Love is reduced to cleaning houses, mm-hmm. um, you still get the joy she gets from from singing, 
And uh, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to see Darlene Love do her, her you know, which she has kind of an annual Christmas tour she does. She played uh, outside of Boston in December. And my wife and I braved a snowstorm. It took us, usually it's about a little over an hour drive. I think it took us about an hour and a half to get down and about four hours to drive mm. home. And it was worth every minute of that. Um, she's 70 plus years old. Uh, she looks great. She's gorgeous. And she can sing. I mean, her she can't hit all those notes, but she's got the power. It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. What a joyous experience. To, and I'm so glad uh, that her career has kind of had a resurgence since that film. But there's many other great singers in there. Mary Clayton. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've already mentioned some of them, but that's that I just couldn't recommend Twenty Feet from Stardom enough. Fantastic. Good. Um, <clears throat> I'm lucky because since I'm the host, I get to comment on everyone's choices, and no one else does. So I will just comment <laughs> on your choice. Number one, yes, that Twenty Feet from Stardom is so good, and that Mary Clayton scene showing talking about when she sang on "Give Me Shelter." Yeah, I I remember watching her watch that. I'm getting goosebumps now. It wasn't just, it wasn't just a goosebump moment. I felt like I turned white. I felt like I, I felt like a wave of the most powerful force I'd ever known just hit me square in the face. Watching her talk about and listen to that section of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my wife and I, uh, we we watched Twenty Feet of Stardom last night just to prepare for this, Mm. and. we were sitting on the couch next to each other when that moment came up and the, literally the hairs on my arm stood up and I turned to my wife to say the hairs on my arm are standing up. And she turned to me and said, the hairs on my arm. Are, I mean, we both had that experience at the same yeah. moment that I, I mean, I did a podcast probably the favorite episode I've ever done of my podcast is the one on give me shelter. Um, so good. So, yep. well, thank you. Um, yeah. but that, I mean, it's all in that moment. Um, it's, yeah. it's not me. It's the moment in, in that song. And it's just, it's one of the greatest vocal performances ever captured. Um, it is. and they really and, do a great job in the film of, of re- revisiting that moment. They do. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a movie. And when you, when you hear Mick Jagger audibly like, woo, or whatever yeah. in the background yeah. while he's watching it, how, Oh, I'm going to get emotional just talking, just thinking about it. It, uh, it's, I've, I'm covered in goosebumps. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. That Jeff Beck documentary did nothing for me. And oh, I was watching you. it thinking, you know, here's a guy. I've never understood what was so great about him, but I've never really paid that much attention. Let's see if this converts me. And unfortunately, it didn't. So sorry, Brad. Eric, you go. What's your first choice? Well, uh, I have a darling love story. Can I share it? Yeah, yes. please. So I, my darling love story, I had the honor of presenting her uh, one time as part of a, an all-star tribute to Marvin Gaye. I was doing an epilepsy awareness series in New Jersey at a church, and I invited, I had a house band, which was Doug Wimbish of Living Color, was the band leader, Paul Pesco on guitar, and various other, Calvin Weston on drums. And since I was doing Marvin Gaye, I was looking for an A-list uh, headliner, if you will, right? So I invited Darling Love, who lives in New York. But I know it wouldn't be terribly expensive, and she agreed to do it uh, for free because she loves Marvin. Mm-hmm. She was down with the cause. I think she might have had a nephew or something, epilepsy, but she came. 
I remember she arrived with her and her husband, and they were just this sweet old couple, like Brad saying. They're just, you know, they're. She's a superstar. She's a legend, right? So you're like a bit nervous to meet her, but she's just a human being. And they hung out that day, and they, you know, they did sound check, and you know, just a couple memories. You know, she met uh, Corey Glover, Living Color, was one of my staples, and he he was on that one as well. And they sang "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" together as a lover and that band and you know again not to toot my horn but like you know there's a part of me it's like i put them on that stage together mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. right yeah. um and <laughs> there was a funny moment where this is getting into weeds a little bit darling love was in lethal weapon she played danny glover's wife if you yeah. remember that mm-hmm. right so doug wimbish at one point was like they must have had some conversation about that so as the day went on they were joking Corey glover danny glover that's Corey's mom. So Doug would be like, hey, Corey, your mom's calling you, right? Which was crazy. It was like, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sitting back like, I put all these people, like they're all yeah. superstars, right? But, you know, I, I configured this thing and she blew the roof off. She was absolutely incredible. Like there were, you know, I had maybe a half a dozen singers on that show, Dawn from In Vogue and uh, Sarah Dash and a bunch of others. But, you know, it's Starling Love, and it was absolutely incredible. And another funny thing about it, just talking about 20 Feet from Stardom, I had two local background singers, Allison and Imani, that were booked on that show, and they were in the back singing background. And through rehearsals, they would sing behind Corey and Sarah and everybody else that came up, right? But then when they got the opportunity to sing background with Darlene Love, mm-hmm. not that they didn't have their A game, but they were like, we're singing background with Darlene Love. Like they were they were through the roof. And I watched those clips and I just I just feel the joy of those background singers doing doing their 20 feet from stardom from Darlene Love, right? So mm-hmm. uh, thanks for indulging me. I don't get an opportunity to share that story too much, so I like to take it. That's cool. Good for you. Uh, yeah. But she's incredible. So, uh, my first pick. I didn't. Uh, I didn't share my runner up runners up earlier. So let me just throw out two or three runners up. Uh, the Devil and Daniel Johnston mm. uh, from 2005, which tells Daniel's unique story. If you haven't seen it, I can't recommend that enough. It is. It's endearing. It made me the thing that Brad said right at the top. It made me appreciate him where. I didn't quite get it before, but after watching that, I get it big time. So if you haven't seen The Devil and Daniel Johnston, uh, obviously the George Harrison living in a material world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one also almost made my uh, my top one or two, but um, I picked another. And then Still Bill, the Bill Withers documentary yeah, from 2009. And that one is interesting because, you know, he has these massive hits, uh, but he's just a dude. Yeah. And he kind of just stepped away from the business. They show him in... Uh, I think it's West Virginia or somewhere in the mid South. And, you know, he's just walking around the streets. He's just bill. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was just infinitely interesting to, to watch his arc. Uh, again, it was, it would, it, it, it watch some warts and things like that, but it still is a good one to watch. But so, uh, my first pick is, um, let's see, I got three to choose from. I'm going to go with, uh, Queens, the magic years from 1987. Mm-hmm. And this is 87, so this is earlier than a lot of the ones we're talking about here. And it was a three VHS tape set produced by these Austrian uh, filmmakers, Rudy and Hans. They were called the Doro, the Torpedo Twins. And it does all of the things that, that we were talking about at the top. It, it documents the history of the band. There's a lot of pull quotes from peers. 
a lot of rare interviews and performances through the years around the world. It's somewhat chronological. Uh, so it, it tells their story in a really great way. But then it also has these absolutely priceless clips of them writing a song in the studio, which is One Vision. If you've ever seen the clips of Queen writing One Vision where Freddie's singing the alternate lyrics like one shrimp, one clam, one frog, <laughs> one chicken, like that's that clip. And it has Freddie and Brian and Roger writing the lyrics and they're laughing. They're just friends. And we're just a fly on the wall through this documentary. Right. So it's there's no artifice about it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Queen, the magic years, especially this is. This is before Freddie is publicly sick, so it's there's no focus on that. Not to say that doesn't warrant focus, but it's before that, so it's it's all the music, and you know, by the time it gets to volume three, it's focusing more on fans and that kind of thing. But the first two volumes are absolutely incredible, and you know, if it's a band you love, to get something comprehensive with footage you probably would never see elsewise, I think is absolutely incredible. And again, on VHS back in the time it was this was incredible so queen the magic years is my first pick good okay is that available on dvd eric do you know i don't think it is i'm not sure that that's ever been re-released all three of them are on the youtubes so if you search queen the magic years they're out there and it's got you know ringo and jeff beck and you know everybody that you can imagine in it uh it's yeah it's really good good Okay. Um, well, I'll go with my second pick. First of all, I should say it came up earlier. I I did want to mention that I think my the the two best Rocky documentaries that I know of are Russia's Beyond the Lighted Stage, and another one that I wanted to mention is The Ramones' Edge of the Century. And um, these are both bands that have very passionate, loyal fan bases. But that isn't why I love them. They both, uh, first of all, the Ramones one covers the dark side very well. And none of those guys are around anymore. It does kind of say maybe, um, it does make you wonder if a really good rock documentary is more, um, possible after all the subject matters have passed away. But anyway, uh, those are the two that I think are the very best, but those aren't the two that I wanted to mention here. My second one is, uh, a, it, it's, um, well, it's called punk attitude. Punk colon attitude. It's only about an hour and a half long. It was directed by Don Letts, who, if you know who that is, he is this uh, British. He was a member of Big Audio Dynamite. He's kind of more of like a, uh, I don't know, he's like the Fab Five Freddy or something of British punk and dub. He was just around. You know, he was friends with the Pretenders, he was friends with the Clash, he was friends with. All those bands, the specials, everybody that you could think of that came out of the late 70s, early 80s, British uh, New Wave and everything else. He was just there with them. And he's kind of a jack of all trades uh, as far as the media goes. But he made a documentary about 20 years ago called Punk Attitude that I think um, is just a perfect uh, retelling of the history of punk. And punk can be kind of a difficult subject to tackle effectively And if you spend too much time in one aspect or another, or you make it sound like it came from America when it came from England or vice versa, you're not doing it right. And he tells the entire story of punk going back. You mentioned the nuggets earlier, uh, Brad, it starts with like bands like the click five and question mark and the Mysterians and takes it like it or not all the way up to like limp biscuit and corn, because that was kind of the, or the beastie boys, because that was sort of the punk of its era. 
I just think it's a very well done, um, quick and dirty synopsis of the history of punk. All the right people are, are lending voice in this David Johansson's in there. And, um, uh, who else? James chance. There's a bunch of other people who are kind of Chrissy hind is being interviewed in there. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes long. It's on YouTube. You can watch it on there. It uh, has subtitles on there because it's probably uploaded from some other country or whatever. But it's just a great history lesson on punk. And I think it's worth it, worth it for everyone to see. Uh, so that's my other choice. Let's go back to you, Ben. What's going to be your second choice of a documentary? Yeah. So I'm not going to go very obscure for my for my top pick. And this is just because I... I I love the subject matter and my favorite documentary is the Tom Petty running down a dream. Good one. Um, it's super long. It's like four hours long. And one of the things that I liked about it is I felt like it did tell the, the, the full story. Um, but it includes a lot of music clips. Like there's a lot of, of uh, videos that they include, a lot of performances that they include. Um, you know, I, I want to hear more than a 10 second clip of some of the, the, the really legendary songs that uh, are put in these documentaries. And uh, I felt like uh, this one did its job. Like I said, it, it's super long. And one thing that I, I say all the time on the podcast for super long songs if you don't recognize that it's like an eight minute long song, um, they probably did something right. And that's kind of how I feel about this documentary. I didn't, I don't really realize that it's four hours long until I have finished it. And I've watched it a couple different times because I, I love it so much. That is uh, up there with the Eagles doc is I think two of like the hallmark or landmark documentaries of the last like 15 or 20 years for sure. That's a great one. Uh, Brad, what's your second pick? What's your two or one a one B or whatever you want to do. Yeah, However well, you want to cheat the system, go for it. That's me. Rule breaker. Uh, you, you actually, you mentioned the beastie boys and I know there's a new documentary on the beastie boys that's coming out. Don't know what it's called. I don't know where it's going to air, but it's might be available now or very soon. And I'm kind of interested in that one because it's on a, Apple TV. Okay. Is yeah. It? I couldn't find it. Okay, good. Yeah. That's, there's a really interesting story with those guys who kind of like few people do. They actually evolved in the business. Um, starting out as just kind of basically glorified frat boys. And at the end actually had something to say and uh, were, uh, so I'm really interested in seeing that one. But uh, my number one B is a documentary uh, called Tom Dowd and the Language of Music uh, from 2003 about legendary record producer and recording engineer Tom Dowd. Um, you really get an idea of what a recording engineer does, what a producer does what a genius this guy was and he was present at so many things, but he's not like a Zelig or a Forrest Gump that just happened to be there. I mean, he made things happen from the very beginning of the recording business right up until the end of his life. And he died in 2002, just before the documentary came out. But there's, I mean, Amit Erdogan, 
Phil Ramone, Jerry Wexler, Greg Allman, they're all in this documentary and they're all gone now. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just a really great capture of, of that aspect of the business. I think Eric was talking before about more of the business than the music side of it. And this kind of gets both. Um, so I'm a big fan of that one. But my number one favorite documentary of all time, 1979, I was in ninth grade. And I went to see The Kids Are All Right, the documentary mm. on The Who in the theater. And that was that experience of walking out of that theater thinking, I, th- I've just seen the greatest rock band of all time. Uh, it's, it's different than a lot of the things we were talking about. There's no talking heads in this documentary. There's really no, um, I'm not going to say it doesn't have a structure, but it's not from A to B to C. It's mostly a collection of performance clips and interview clips um, juxtaposed against each other in, in really interesting ways that just gets you everything that makes The Who such an f- amazing band. Uh, there'll be an interview clip of Pete Townsend saying, you know, pop music is art and must must maintain as art. And then two seconds later, there'll be a clip of him basically dismissing it all as junk. <laughs> um, it was uh, directed and assembled by a guy named Jeff Stein. This was his first film. And he basically put it together from, from footage that in many cases was rescued. There's actually footage of the who playing at Woodstock that he literally rescued from a trash can. Uh, mm-hmm. He scoured all over the world for two years collecting this footage. Some of it was uh, pretty obscure. Uh, there is some new footage in there. The, the band recording Who Are You in the studio. Uh, there was a concert that they filmed for the show in December of 77, but they only used a tiny clip in there because the band was particularly ornery that night and not, not really in the mood to be filmed, I guess. And then they assembled a whole new... A show at Shepherd and Film Studios in May of 1978, where a couple of full performances are from. And that is just some of the greatest rock performance you will ever see. The band is so good. And everything you love about The Who, from the guitar smashing to the anthems to the... It's just... I just love this film so much. It's one of the few that I can literally go back to. Uh, every couple of years, I put it in and watch it. Um, and I find new things to love about it every time. The kids are all right by the who, my all-time favorite. Interesting. So a couple of thoughts. Number one, I'm reading the Beastie Boys book right now, and it's fantastic. If anyone wants to check that out, it's so much fun. Um, secondly, what was the first one you did? Oh, Tom Dowd. That was on the my list, too, as a, probably my alternate. I wasn't. I didn't go with it because I saw it when it came out, I believe, or right around then. And it completely knocked me out. I thought it was so great, but I haven't seen it since. And I didn't put it, I didn't make it one of my picks because I didn't feel like I could talk about it uh, as though I remembered it very freshly because yeah, I don't, I, but I remember I it, watching it. I have it on DVD. I don't know if it's available for streaming anywhere, but um, yeah. yeah, Tom Dowd in the language of music, I highly recommend him. I agree. I love that. And then um, we don't have to get too deep into this, but one of the topics I meant to bring up earlier is that I feel like 
I feel like the the um, structure of music documentaries has improved greatly over the years. I I actually get kind of bored. I'm I'm not a huge fan of like the Maisel Brothers, D.A. Pennebecker type documentaries anymore. I mean, Gimme Shelter ha- has some value. I don't really believe it or not care about the Ziggy Stardust doc that much. So you mentioning the Who, I don't. I lose patience with those kind of docs that are more concert footage or performance footage than they are information. Um, no offense to some people who have podcasts that we're listening to. I sometimes fast forward, often fast forward through the song parts of documentary or of a podcast. And just because I just want to mainline information, I, I got enough music in my life. I feel like that was directed towards me. Uh, that was actually more directed at Eric because I don't always listen to the songs on your six packs, buddy. I'm sorry. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Right, I don't either. But I li- because I love the talking and the do- and the discussion so much more, you know. So anyway, I think if I had seen that in the theater at the time, I would probably be knocked out. But my interests and my appreciation for docs has moved. They've just gotten better since then, according to what I like. So that's. Well, I didn't mention any of those older ones. Anyway, well, the thing about the um, kids are all right is that it's not just one concert. I mean, there's true. It's there's Woodstock is in there, but it's a he did a completely different edit, so it's not the same performance that you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same performance, but it's not the same footage in the same way that you see it in the Woodstock film. And I mean, their performance on the Smothers Brothers show, where when Keith Moon blows up the bass drum and nearly deafens Pete Townsend for the rest of his life, to mm-hmm. that footage of them playing at Shepherd Inn at the very end of the career, Keith Moon was dead not many weeks after that, and everything in between. If it had just been concert footage um, of one show, I could see that, but it's it is a career retrospective, just primarily in performance. Um, but they were just like the greatest live band of their time. And uh, I, I would encourage you to go see that again if you haven't seen it. Okay, I will. I watched it. I saw it years ago, but I'll watch it again. Okay, Eric, what's your what's your next one? Well, I have two. I, I don't know if I'm going to go with 1A, 1B, but uh, the, I might get some heat for this. But the one is... The one is probably the elephant in the room, and Brad already mentioned, which is the Beatles anthology. I mean, mm. the most comprehensive documentary about the most influential band of all time, right? You can't get overlook it. I think Brad said it's like 10, 12 hours, somewhere in that neighborhood. It originally aired as a three-part series, and I remember watching it. This was 95. Uh, very detailed, and you know, it had all the members' involvement, uh, except for John, obviously. Uh, they kept the wives kind of at arm's length, so there's none of that uh, drama stuff in there. Just tons of footage, tons of songs, you know, great stories. Uh, again, going back to the original intention of, you know, what makes a good docu- documentary, you know, this is one of the ones that I see 100 years from now being a historical record, right, about the Beatles. And I couldn't think of anything more comprehensive. Again, it also had the Anthology CDs. They came out with new music as a result of that, Free as a Bird stuff. And, you know, there were books, and it just was an event. So, you know, I think that's a high watermark. So I wanted to throw that one out there. But the other one, this one I might catch a little heat for, but uh, I'm standing by it, is uh, from 1984, directed by Marty DeBerge, is This is Spinal Tap. <laughs> In many ways, more realistic than a lot of the actual documentaries, I think. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's as accurate as anything about music. You know, I've, 
you know, we've all spoken to lots of artists and they've all lived any number of scenes in Spinal Tap. It's as real as it gets, right? Plus it's just entertaining. And then they were a real, I've seen Spinal Tap live. They were a cool, real band. And, you know, just everything in it, the, the, where they're, <laughs> they're arguing over the billing of, about the puppet show. Mm-hmm. They're touring. They have them traveling, him going through the metal detectors with his uh, cucumber and whatnot, dealing with management, the label, fucking Janine, mm-hmm. you know, or attended, uh, you know, uh, in-store, the grand dresser is the A&R person, and, you know, Debating over the album, creative differences over the album cover, smell the glove, and then the black cover, and the failure, and having to deal with that. It's yeah, just like Brad said, it's as real as as anything out there in the music business. So I think you know, as a as a meta music documentary, it, it hits everything. So this is Spinal Tap is my <laughs> big. All right, <laughs> that works. Um, okay, well that's great. Um, did you guys have as I said, everyone bring one alternate in case someone picks the thing that was on your top two. Um, let's go quickly around and uh, discuss briefly the alternates if you have one. Ben, let's start with you. Did you have an alternate that you want that did come up? That didn't come up. Uh, Decline of Western Civilization, the first one on on the punk bands. I think you touched on a on a on a punk documentary as well i just kind of found it fascinating it's a it's definitely a glimpse into the you know the 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 california punk bands and uh i yeah i haven't watched the 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 follow-up to it which is the the metal years um i just had no interest in the band the other two do not matter the second one on hair metal is one of the greatest documents of a culture and music ever created. So go back and watch it. I think it's on tube, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So that, 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 that would be my pick. Okay. Brad, did you have an alternate? No, I, I already mentioned my, my alternates, which were the Jeff Beck and the Tom Dowd next to the, uh, the who. Okay. And 20 feet from stardom. Did you have an alternate you wanted to throw out there just in case someone picked one of yours? No, I mentioned them all. The, I just do have one other point to make. It is, um, it's where they hit us in our, in our lives, right? So I made, I made a big point about talking about the year with which the Queen Magic Years came out because that, that was just a few years before I was fully in the Queen. So it was, I just soaked it all up, right? It mattered to me at that point in time. It's exactly what I needed, right? So, you know, when, and as Brad was describing, kids are right, seeing in the theater like that, that makes all the difference, right? The context of it. And just one that I want to throw out, and it's it's a biopic. It's probably, it's probably not great. I haven't watched it since I was eight years old, but it certainly opened my eyes, which I think, what we're all talking about all these documentaries it was it was a probably a bit of a throwaway i think dick clark produced it the birth of the beatles movie right mm. and i don't know if it was a made for tv movie or whatever but i remember being eight and watching it and just thinking it was the coolest thing ever and it it set me on the path of you know being a fan get you know getting behind uh the people that are singing the songs you know who are these who are these artists who are these dudes who are these ladies that are making this music and what makes them tick so 
you know, a lot of these are around, you know, pulling us in, you know, or, or teaching us about something or inspiring us to dig deeper or appreciate the music or, you know, everything that Brad said at the top, I'm just kind of regurgitating it poorly. But, you know, I remember just being inspired by that and, you know, being inspired by, uh, you know, I was a Beatles fan, but seeing a Beatles anthology just put me off on a whole other trajectory. Right. The Wrecking Crew. I kind of knew these guys. But once I saw that, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, these guys are these guys mm-hmm. are the bomb. 20 feet from stardom, you know, uh, Anvil, Death, et cetera, et cetera. Right. When you see, you know, these fully um, realized, digging deeper uh, portrayals of these artists, you know, it can be inspiring. And as as a collection of uh, voracious music listeners, I don't know if I'm using that word right, but, you know, sure you all agree that you know i just want to soak all this up it's so good even if it's a band i don't care about you know if it's if it's a story well told you know i'm curious uh, i think you know i think uh, music documentaries are awesome in all of those regards and biopics to a lesser extent but yeah so i don't have a final uh, alternate okay i think i, I said them all but i just want to make that point okay um i'm gonna make one i i did save one alternate just in case and that is a, a fairly new one called Bathtubs Over Broadway that's on Netflix. Has anyone seen this? No. Okay. Is that, is that, um, the, uh, is that the story of the making of Samantha's Fox's Naughty Girls Need Love too? It is. It is. Good one. Yes. Uh, no. It, um, so I don't know if anyone listens to the Bizarre Albums podcast. It's really good. And um, they did a series, a couple of episodes recently on this um, this guy named Steve Young, who was a writer for David Letterman. And he started taking an interest in these industrial albums that were made by large companies at sales uh, conferences throughout the like 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have watched that. I didn't remember what it was called, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's good. Yes. Companies like Johnson and Johnson would have their annual sales kickoff. They bring in these actors and actresses to sort of, they write, you know, they write songs for the conference about selling Johnson and Johnson products or whatever it might be. And, uh, actors and actresses make little films or they perform on stage. They do these little musical, uh, performances. And there were off, often albums made of these to, as like trinkets to take home from the conference. And this guy, Steve Young, started collecting all of these. And then he very he got so obsessive about it, he started kind of wanting to know, like, who, who are the people writing these songs? And what are their stories? And who are the people that were acting in these shows? And what are their stories? And it resonated so much with me because that's the same kind. I try to apply the same sort of obsession to the podcast that I make as Steve Young was making to unearthing the talented people who made these very obscure records. It just spoke to me so much. I thought, I know that level of obsession. I feel it. And I know the passion and the love that you feel for those people and what, why it drives you to do the things that you do. Well, the best part is at the end of the movie, uh, a, they do, they've produced a video that looks a little bit like the Bjork it's oh so quiet video, you know, where they're on a back lot somewhere and it's put as like a guys and dolls kind of movie musical. And it features all the actors and actresses that they had just got done talking about who, you know, never really had careers, but they made 
a couple of industrial videos back in the day and that's it. And it gives everybody a moment to shine one last moment, you know, and, and it speaks to me so heavily because that's what I am trying to do is like validate these people's artistic impulses and the creativity that they put out in the world, no matter how small it might be. And it's such a fantastic and moving document of someone having a passion and an obsession that drives them to want to, it reminded me of wanting to do those hustle fests. Remember that I used to talk about Brad of like, let's get these people on a stage and let them tell their stories and talk about their lives and, let us soak that in for a minute because there's value there. It really spoke to me. So anyway, check out Bathtubs Over Broadway. It's a really fantastic documentary that spoke to me specifically um, recently. I loved it. I will so, definitely check that out. I, I have a book with an accompanying CD that's called, I think, uh, Everything's Coming Up Profits. That is yes. sort of a collection of that um, – all those sort of songs that were written for the uh, the IBM kickoff for 1952 or whatever. Yep, uh, Steve Young wrote that book. Oh, apparently. really? Oh, great. And I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know this, but I I don't remember ever seeing this. But I guess occasionally it all started because they started a segment on David Letterman of like David Letterman Dave's record collection yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yep, and they would mine Steve Young's record collection to to play obscure stuff during those segments. And that's what started him down the path. And so they eventually, he did, made a book about it and he went on David Letterman to promote the book. There's uh, scenes from that show on there. Anyway, it's just a, it just that level of passion and dedication for obscure art that really moves us spoke to me so heavily. I, uh, it really moved me to watch this movie. So all right, gang. Well, that's it. We did this. Uh, I thought it went pretty well. What did you guys think? Did we miss anything? Have we covered Rock Docs effectively? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing it. Thanks coordinating and thanks for having us on. It's always yeah. a pleasure to hang with uh, my friends in podcasting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a little upset with you, John. Actually. Why? Because now I have a list of like 20 documentaries that I need to go watch. <laughs> yeah. That was the idea. That was yeah. That's exactly why I wanted to kick it off with a conversation about it, because I was hoping that we would just be showering people who are interested with stuff to go do, you know. And then vice versa. It'll be nice to see in the comments, you know, anyone listening, if we didn't hit on one that you would recommend, yes. please comment with it. Yeah, please let us know. Okay. Let us know what we should watch. Absolutely. Okay, gang. Well, uh, just I love you guys, all three of you, very much. And um, especially the last few months, which have been really trying and rough for me. All three of you, in your own ways, have been there for me. And I want to say thank you and I love you. And life's about to get a lot better. So thanks for being my friends. All right, back at you, brother. Same here. Good.